How are you doing today? Hey, it's great to see you. I, I love what Ann said, talking about us Southern Californians and how, what wimps we are with the weather. How many of you are a wimp with the weather and proud of it today? Huh? That's right. That's what makes us Southern Californians. Hey, I'm really glad to see you here today, anxious to get into God's Word as we dive into Scripture. And we're going to start a brand new series today. And in a few minutes, we're going to begin reading in Ephesians chapter 2. If you've got a Bible and you want to turn there, if not, the verses will be on the screen. But this series throughout this month is called Then Sings My Soul. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the importance of songs that really declare our faith and our trust in God. We're going to look at some songs that are a little older. How many of you know that the church has sung some old songs through the years? Am I the only one that knows that? How many of you know that those songs have something to say? And even though we don't sing them a lot like we used to, uh, still there's some real weight in these songs. And, you know, if you, if you look at Scripture, there's just something about songs, Something about songs. As a matter of fact, if you look at life, there's something about songs. How many of you can remember the songs that were popular when you were in high school? Remember that? I remember when I was a teenager, when I first got my driver's license, we used to go to, down to Frantone's Pizza on Sunday night in Downey, California. And after church, we would go down there and we would hang out a bunch of us from the church. And there was the jukebox. How many of you remember jukebox? I am dating myself. Uh, some of you don't know what you're missing. And we listened to Creedence Clearwater about Green River and, you know, all that fun stuff. And we go through life and, you know, we, we remember songs. We remember occasions because of songs. We remember songs because of occasions. It's that way in Scripture. You know, in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel came through the Red Sea, they sang the song of Moses and they wrote a song about the occasion. That happens in the church world. If you look at Jesus, it says that when Jesus left the upper room with his disciples where they had partaken of Passover and he headed out to the Garden of Gethsemane, it says before they left that they sang a hymn. Um, another great story is found in the book of Acts when Paul and Silas got locked in jail. At the midnight hour when they were all locked up and tied up in shackles and their bodies were beaten and sore and wounded, at the midnight hour they began to sing praises to God. And as they sang those songs, the shackles fell off. Let me tell you something. Sometimes the only way out of your situation is to praise your way out, and sing your way out. And I, I think it's important for us to not forget songs that have meaning in our lives. And we're not talking about just singing songs for the tradition of singing songs. We're going to be looking this month each week at a different hymn of the church or a different well-known song of the church. And we're going to talk about the scriptures and the stories behind those songs. So today we're going to talk about Amazing Grace. You know, I think of all the songs of the church, probably the best known would be Amazing Grace. Having grown up in church when I was a little kid, they sang about Amazing Grace. Here, now that I'm an adult, some 35 years later, uh, we're still singing Amazing Grace. 35 plus, let me say that correctly. But, it, but here's the thing. We're going to talk about God's grace today and how amazing God's grace is. And at the end of service, we're going to sing that song, Amazing Grace. But you know, I've learned through the years that every believer has a story about God's grace. 
Each of us has a song to sing about how God's grace has worked in our lives. It's a song or a story that really has put an eternal song in our hearts. But the song Amazing Grace was written probably in 1772, almost 250 years ago, by a man named John Newton, who also had a life story of God's amazing grace. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But as I begin to prepare this week, um, different staff members are going to be sharing this month. And as I begin to prepare, I thought, you know, I'm going to have the easiest one of all because I'm, I'm talking about amazing grace. How, how easy is that? The problem is I took, pulled up every scripture in the New Testament that talks about God's grace and I had six pages of just scriptures, which means if I read them and commented, we'd be here for about two and a half hours. How many don't really want to stay two and a half hours today? Uh, some of you are lying, okay? I know better than that, okay? There's grace, but there's not grace for liars in church, okay? So let's get down to the bottom line here. But today I want to talk about God's grace. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to just look at three thoughts about God's grace. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, now this is the old life, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. We can remember those days. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But then notice verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses or our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Say those last words with me. By grace, you have been saved. God's amazing grace. Verse 6. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is not of works, lest anyone should boast. First thought today, God's grace will save us. God's grace will save us. If there was only one thing to talk about today with God's grace, I think this would be the most important point of all. God's grace will save us. Here in these verses, as the Apostle Paul wrote these words, he made it clear that we never forget where God's grace has brought us from. We always remember the old life, what we used to be, the way we walked in sin, the way we walked after the flesh and the desires of the flesh and of the mind. But then he points out the fact that each of us who have faith in Christ had a day when we encountered the grace of God. And that grace of God changed our lives. 
We remember what we were, but we also look at what we are today because of God's grace. And every believer in the house today can turn to someone and say, if we had the time, here's what God's grace has done in my life. We are all stories of grace. We are all songs of grace because God's grace will save us. But let's talk about grace for just a moment. Let's, let's define what grace is. From time to time, I teach on grace or I'll preach a message about the grace of God. Grace is simply undeserved favor. It's favor from God that we do not deserve. Grace cannot be earned. Grace cannot be deserved. You can't live a good enough life to earn it. On the cross, Jesus paid a debt that we could never pay, and he extended his life to us. In a thousand lifetimes, all of our good works could never earn the forgiveness and the grace of God, because grace is a gift. If you study the New Testament and go into the, uh, the original writings, you'll see many times when the word grace is really interpreted gift as much as it's interpreted grace. That's because God's grace is something he extends to us, sometimes unexpectedly, sometimes in the worst time of our life, sometimes at a situation where we had no way out. God shows up and says, here, let me change everything. It's interesting when I talk about God's grace, I always like to use this illustration. God's grace is the wild card of life. Everybody's played card games, and you know, sometimes you're playing a card game, and it comes down to the last hand, and everybody plays their cards, and it's time for the last person to play, and it looks like it's all settled, and all of a sudden, that person throws in a wild card, and it changes the whole game. That's God's grace. He steps into our circumstances. When we haven't earned it, we don't deserve it. We may have lived a horrible life and turned everything upside down. But God steps in and says, here, let me throw something on top of the pile that will change everything, including you and your eternal future. Let me do something that will change the course of your life. That's God's amazing grace. God's grace will save us. But something else we know about God's grace, it is a gift God extends it to us, but God's grace means nothing unless I receive it. I must, by faith, put my trust in Jesus as my Savior and accept the grace of God. Talking about stories of God's grace, I remember the first time I ever accepted God's grace. I was five years of old, five years old, five years of age. I was at church one Sunday evening with my mom and my sister and the pastor gave an altar call and people went forward to pray around the altars of the church and I went down and knelt by my mom and for the first time in my life I prayed a prayer and said, Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins. How many of you know at five years of age there's a whole lot that God had to forgive but he was willing to meet me right there. And I experienced for the first time in my life the fact that I have sinned, I have made mistakes, but God was willing to forgive me. That was a moment in my life I will never forget. But I also remember at 19 years of age, how many of you can think back and remember from the time you were five until the time you were 19, there were a whole lot of other things that went into that pile that we would call sin. At 19 years of age, out on my own, setting a course for my own life, I came to a place one day where I realized 
my plans may have been good, but it's just not working out the way it's supposed to work out. And I remember at 19 years of age laying down my life and said, God, whatever you want for the rest of my life, it's yours. And God showed up in a big way and began to change me from the inside out. And I'm going to tell you something. It began a journey for me. And, and if you've been raised in church, I want you to listen closely to this today. Those of us who've been raised in church and have church backgrounds, those of us who've lived pretty good lives and tried to walk with God, I mean, none of us are without sin, we know that. But those of us who've tried to follow God and we've done a pretty good job of living our lives, there, the realization came to me after I'd started my early ministry that no matter how good you have been, no matter what kind of life you might have lived growing up in church, when you come face to face with Jesus, you realize you need God's grace because if you sinned one time in your lifetime, you're just as much lost in sin as the worst of all sinners. And all of us need the grace of God. I came to that realization. It caused me to empty all of my heart and give all of my life to Him. We talked about the song Amazing Grace. It was written by a man named John Newton. Written in the 1770s, I believe it was, 1772, I think we said. John Newton had an amazing life. And I wish today I had time to walk through all of it. But there are different accounts in history about some areas of his life. Let me just real quickly give you the big picture of John Newton's life. John Newton became a clergyman. He became a preacher, a teacher of God's word in his later years. He was ordained by the church. He led a congregation. It was in that season of life, in this journey with God, when he wrote the words to Amazing Grace. But to really understand John Newton, you have to go back a lot of years because John Newton was raised by a father who was a merchant, a ship operator, a captain of a ship. He grew up in that atmosphere and he, he caught the desire to be a ship captain. And so as a young man, he began to work on ships. And before long, his pathway led him to working the slave trade ships. He went further and further in that, that investment, if you will, that business of the day. Until before long, he was captaining his own ship, transporting slaves all over the world. And in those years of transporting slaves, a course began to set about. One thing happened, then another. One day he came face to face with the realization that he'd been a horrible man. He'd lived a horrible life. He'd treated people cruelly. He took people from their homelands. He separated families. He did horrible things in his lifetime. And he came face to face with the realization, I need help. And the cry of his heart led him to an encounter with God that over time changed the course of his life from slave trader to follower of Jesus. Can I just tell you today, it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you are, doesn't matter where you came from, doesn't matter what roads you've traveled and what your future looks like today. God's grace can change everything. God's grace will save you. You might be here today and you might think, you know, you just don't know the things that I've done. Think about John Newton. 
Yeah, but you don't know the things I... But think about the horrible things he saw and did in his lifetime. Think about the days, the weeks, the months of those journeys, hearing the cries of people who were being starved and tortured, removed from their homeland, dropped off in a strange land, and sold into captivity. Think of what he saw in his life. And when he came to the place where he encountered God, everything began to change. God accepted him. Maybe today, if... You look at your life and you think, I need a Savior. Let me give you the words of John Newton. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Friend, I'm going to tell you today, I don't care who you are, what you are, where you've come from. You are never within, you're never outside of the reach of God's grace God will meet you right where you are. Trust his grace today. And then you can say, amazing grace. God's grace will save even me. Even me. Number two, look at Titus. Little book in the back of the New Testament. Titus chapter two. Number one, God's grace will save us. Number two, God's grace will keep us. Titus chapter 2, we're going to begin reading at verse number 11. Paul wrote these words to this minister Titus. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us. Look at verse 12. Teaching us. Everybody say teaching us. See, what a lot of people don't realize is once you've accepted the initial work of God's grace... That grace not only saves you, it begins to teach you. That's what it says, verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You know, it's interesting. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that when we accept Christ as our Savior, we become new creations. We are new creatures in Christ. God gives us a brand new fresh start, gives us a brand new life to live. And the grace of God that wiped away the past, the grace of God that closed the gulf between us and God, that brought us into relationship with God, that same grace begins to teach us and train us about the new life God has given us. You know, there's a lot of teaching in our world, in our church world, about grace today. And there's some people who teach, well, once you've experienced the grace of God and once you've accepted it, you just go off and do your own thing. God's grace is there to take care of you from now on. Don't even think about God anymore. You know what? That's unscriptural teaching. Because the grace of God begins to work in our life to teach us, to keep us, to bring us into this brand new relationship with God. And you know, it's not like God has a little bit of grace on his fingertip and he touches you on the head and says, okay, I'm going to forgive your sins and wash your sins away. You've experienced grace. Now go on through life. And when, when this life is over, when you die, at the end of this age, when everything rolls together, then I'll show up and we'll talk about what's next. That's not how it works. 
God wants to pour his grace onto our life, not just a touch, but he wants to pour his grace into our lives so that every day we begin to live lives that are filled with the goodness and the grace of God. That's why the psalmist wrote the words, surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because I've experienced the grace of God. God's grace is not finished. God's grace has just started working in my life. And he's going to continue to work throughout eternity on my behalf. God's grace will keep us. Romans 6 tells us that God's grace has separated us from the old life. The Apostle Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He goes on to say, certainly not. God forbid. Once we die to our sins, we're free to live under the grace of God. Jude verse 4 tells us that there will be ungodly teachers who come along and they turn the grace of God into lewd lifestyles. They turn the grace of God into an attitude that says, well, I'm just going to live my own selfish life forever. It's all covered now. Jude said that's ungodly teaching and we need to beware of those kind of teachers and remove away from those people. We're warned about it. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, don't receive the grace of God in vain. What he's saying is don't accept the grace of God and then walk away from it and not expect God's grace to continue to work in your life. You know, I say this every now and then, the greatest life there is, is the life that you live walking with God. There's no life to compare with it. The greatest life there is, is a life filled with the presence, the blessing, the goodness, the grace of God. You know, through the years, I've seen some people come and go. I've seen people come and accept God's grace and then a few weeks or months later they think, well, I don't know, maybe I just go back the old way. Let me tell you something. The Word of God tells us that God's grace is going to be there to keep us in relationship with God if we want that grace. Acts 13 tells us that we are to remain in God's grace. John chapter 1 tells us that God gives us grace upon grace or grace because of grace. Why is that important today? It's because in life you're going to face challenges. In life there are going to be times and situations when you're not sure what to do. And in those moments if we'll look to God, that same grace that saved us will show up to provide for us what we need in those moments. Because God's grace will meet us right where we are and it will keep us under God's blessing and protection. John 1 16 literally says God gives grace upon grace. He gives grace, then he gives more grace. You are never going to exhaust the grace of God. It's always going to be there because it's amazing. Romans 5 says that we can actually stand in the grace of God. How many of you'd like to have God's blessings every day? Just be standing in the middle of God's grace. God's presence. By faith, if we trust God, we can live and stand in God's grace. Newton wrote these words, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, but then grace, my fears relieved. And how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. God's grace will save us, but God's grace will keep us. And then the third thing 
I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, point number three, God's grace will provide for us. So grace will save us, grace will keep us. Number three, God's grace will provide for us. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Paul wrote these words, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations I received, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Verse 8. Concerning this, this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm going to spend a few minutes this last point because there are two or three things I want you to see. But I'm going to tell you something. God's grace will save you. God's grace will keep you in grace. But on this journey of life, God's grace will supply your every need. Every one of them. Everybody look right here at me. God will supply, His grace will supply every one of your needs. Everything you cannot provide for yourself in this life, everything that you need, God's grace will supply it. It's interesting in this passage of Scripture, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. What a famous passage. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. It's interesting, if you read Bible commentators, if you read a lot of, of uh, theologians, when they read this passage, all they want to do is talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh. What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? It was this, it was that, it was this, it was that. What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? I'll tell you exactly what it was. We don't know. We don't know. Now, there are people who have their ideas, but they don't know. Paul didn't want us to know or he would have written it. If it was important for us to know Paul's thorn in the flesh, he would have disclosed it. But let me tell you something. Everybody in this room knows what it is to struggle with issues in life. Many of us sitting in this house today know what it is to have a thorn in the flesh that continually jumps up trying to block our progress in God. I want you to notice some things in this passage because three things that are so very important about this one passage that people get so caught up talking about Paul's thorn, they miss the message. Here's the message. God's strength is completed. It's perfected in my weakness. Let me say it again. God's strength is completed. God's strength is really shown. You want to know how great God's strength is? Let him into your weakness and God will show you how great his strength is. Because God's grace 
God's grace will be there. Paul said, I found out in this difficult hour, I prayed three different occasions. God, take this thing away from me. Whatever it was, God spoke to him and said, let me tell you something. My grace is sufficient. Stop focusing on the problem and start trusting me because I will cover that with my grace. This isn't in my notes, but there's somebody in this house today, you were so hung up on your failures that you've never let the grace of God come in and heal and change it. Trust God's grace. I don't care what's behind you. I don't care what you're battling in this life. Trust God's grace. His strength is completed, perfected in our weaknesses. The, the second thing we see here in this passage is that Paul said, when I am weak, the power of Christ rests upon me. Isn't it our human nature that when we are weak, we tend to run from God? Paul said, I've learned when I'm weak, I run to God. And when I do that, the grace of God, his power, rests upon me. Friend, let me tell you something. That's the kind of life I want to live. I want the grace of God to continually rest upon me. Don't run from God, run to him and let his grace work in your life. And the third thing Paul said was, if I trust God's grace when I'm weak, then I'm actually strong because it's God's power at work in my life. You know, sometimes I think we interfere with God's power. We try to be so self-sufficient. We just get down on ourselves and we give up and walk away. We get angry, we get bitter, all this stuff happens. We, no, 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 I'll do it my own way. Let me tell you something. When you are weak, if you will turn to God, He will cover you with grace and His strength will show up and you will become strong in this life. God's grace is there for us. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 tells us we're encouraged to come boldly to God's throne. Come boldly, because God's throne is a throne of grace. Can I ask you a really dumb question today? What do you find at a throne of grace? Grace. Grace. We run from God. We find a thousand reasons to carry it ourselves and try to do it ourselves and it only digs a deeper hole when all the while God's saying, come to me, lay it down. You'll find my strength. God's dwelling place is a throne of grace where we can find help in time of need. You know, I mentioned John Newton's life a little earlier. One of the things that really turned the course of John Newton's life was he was involved in a shipwreck. Ship broke apart. People were losing their lives. They lost cargo. Some way, somehow, he found something to stay afloat until another ship came along and tossed him a lifeline. Everybody in this room knows what it is to have shipwrecks. Everybody here in this room knows what it is to have some challenges in life that are bigger than you are. What do you do in those times of challenge? You look to God because he's promised that his grace will meet your every need. John Newton, out on the seas, had someone come along and throw him a physical lifeline, pull him in. 
It took a long time. It took years for him to work through this and come to a place of faith in God. But the day came when he looked back on that physical lifeline and realized God sent somebody to throw me a physical lifeline. And now God wants to throw me a spiritual lifeline. God wants to save me. He wants to change me. He wrote those words through many dangers, toils and snares I have already come. He knew what he was talking about, being out on the sea, fighting for his life. But what he said was, it was God's grace that's brought me safe thus far. And friend, I'm going to tell you, if God's grace has brought you safe thus far, God's grace will lead you home. God will provide what you need in this life. There's one more area that I want to talk about here. Talking about God's provision for our lives. Once we start walking with God, God places a purpose, a calling on our lives. Each person is different. Each calling is different. What God plans for us, no two of us have the same exact calling. Similarities, yes, but the exact same things, no. And we make a decision. Am I going to trust God and become what God wants me to be? Am I going to have an impact for the kingdom's sake? Or am I going to say no and turn and walk away? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. I want you to look at these words with me. 1 Corinthians 3, 10, Paul says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Important words in this verse, the first part of it, according to the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 10. According to the grace of God that was given to me. Paul said, God called me to do some things. And then God put grace on me to open the doors, to bring provision that I could do the things God called me to do. As a matter of fact, if you read Paul's letters, he often wrote about the calling of God that was upon his life. But he also referred just as often to the grace of God, the gifts of God that God had poured into his life to accomplish those things. I mean, you think about it. Paul was probably the worst of sinners. That's what he called himself because he persecuted the church. He had Christians put to death. He had Christians put put in prison. He separated families. He had people enslaved because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But he had a miraculous encounter with God's grace that changed the whole course of his life. And then he spent the rest of his lifetime promoting and building the church of Jesus Christ all throughout the then known world. You know, God's placed a calling on each of our lives. But I've learned through the years that probably one of the greatest weapons Satan uses to get us off track of fulfilling our purpose is lack. There's not enough here. There's not enough there. I set out to do it, but I didn't have this. And I set out to do that, and there wasn't that. And we come to these walls, and we back away and say, well, I just can't do it. Instead of stopping and saying, God, what do you want to do here? How does your grace want to watch this unfold? What can your grace do in my life, in my journey with God? 
Acts 4.33 says that there was great grace upon the disciples when they began to build the church. And with that great grace came power to perform miracles and lead the church. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8, one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. There's an old saying we've used for years, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. Whatever God's called you to do, He will bring provision to accomplish it. Talked about the Apostle Paul. This man who fought the church, had Christians killed, enslaved people, separated families. He was probably the greatest voice in the early church, maybe the greatest voice in the history of the church since Jesus. To change his world. What an amazing story of God's grace. John Newton after he became a minister, after he was ordained, after he had experienced this grace in God, he spent the rest of his life not only teaching God's word and teaching the grace of God, he also got involved in the national political arena and he was greatly involved, greatly instrumental in abolishing the slave trade of that day and making slave trade illegal. Spent the rest of his life ending what he spent the first part of his life creating. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 tells us that God is the God of all grace. All grace. And you know, in closing today, when our lives are over, we're going to have eternity to admire the story that God's grace has written in our lives. If we'll commit our lives to the grace of God, when this life is over, we'll be amazed at what God has done. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. How do you describe the grace of God? I don't think there's ever been a better expression than amazing grace. I want to pray for you today. I'm going to pray two prayers. I'm going to ask the, the, the worship team to come on out and get in place as we pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, please. Two prayers. Number one, maybe you're in this house today. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've never said yes to the grace of God, but as you sit here today, you realize I'm lost in my sin. I don't know the way into eternity, and I recognize I need a Savior, and I believe Jesus died for my sins. Maybe right now something's tugging at your heart. That's the grace of God. That's the Spirit of God. That's God saying, I want you to receive me. Here's grace. Here's forgiveness. Receive it today. But I have to make the decision. You have to make the decision to receive God's grace. And the way you do that is when he knocks on the door, you open the door. With your own words, you say, please come into my life. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to ask everybody in the room today 
to pray this prayer with me. Write out loud. You don't need to scream the words, but just pray it out loud right where you are. Say, God, I need you. Please forgive me. I need your grace. I want to know you. I give you my life. Let your grace change everything. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I choose Jesus to become the Lord of my life. I want to learn your ways. I want to follow you. I want your grace to be involved in every area of my life for the rest of my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for extending your grace to me. I will follow you. While heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. I want to pray for people today who are facing challenging situations in life. Say, Pastor, what can you guarantee me today if we pray a prayer with you? I can guarantee you God's grace will show up. I don't know how he will work things out. I don't know exactly when he's going to do it, but God has a plan. God's grace will meet your every need. Maybe a situation, maybe a thorn in the flesh, maybe a weakness in your life, temptation struggle. It may be the purpose God's placed on you and you're trying to figure out, how do I go forward from here? But while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, how many people in the house would just real quickly just lift up a hand, put it down, say, Pastor, I need God's grace to work in my life today. Just raise them, put them right back down. Let me see them. Thank you. Thank you. Stand to your feet if you would. I want to pray for you. Everybody standing. Everybody standing in the whole building. Father, we receive your grace today. We open our hearts to you. God, I pray for every person who raised a hand. And maybe there are a couple of people who maybe weren't, weren't comfortable raising their hands today across this house. God, we just lift our hearts to you. We lift our hands to you. We ask that your grace would get involved in our situations. And whatever we're facing, whatever we're dealing with today, that your grace would be greater than our problem. That your grace would be amazing and do amazing things in our lives. And no matter what the challenge is, your strength is perfected in our weakness. So, Father, we look to your grace. We believe for your grace. We expect your grace to come and change everything that we cannot change ourselves. We give it to you now. Father, we ask you to show up with your grace in a big way. In Jesus' name we pray. We're going to worship God this morning. The worship team's going to come and they're going to lead us in that song, Amazing Grace. I encourage you today, don't be a spectator, be a participator. Feel free to lift your hands. Let's worship God together.
How many of you today are thankful for the grace of God that has saved you? How many are thankful for the grace of God that has kept you? The one thing above all else, I want you to be able to leave this place today realizing the same grace that saved you and kept you will lead you on and God will provide every one of your needs. Before we go today, I want to share one last thought. Earlier we prayed that first prayer. If this is the first time you've ever asked Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life, if today you've accepted God's grace for the first time, or even if you're the prodigal who left home and realized it was time to come home, if you prayed that prayer with us, we've got a little gift we want to give you. It's a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's just real simple reading that'll help you get started walking with God. We want to give this to you, no strings attached. When we're finished here in just a moment, there'll be prayer teams at the front of the building. They're here to pray with anyone for any need. If you just walk up to one of these teams and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you, no strings attached. If you want to get it and go, that's fine. If you've got questions, they can answer questions. If you want prayer for something else, they will pray with you. If you're in a really big rush today, out in the lobby, right in the middle of the exit doors, there's a big sign set up there. You can stop there and get the same booklet there. Just stop and say, can I get the free booklet, please? We want to give it to you. I promise you, this will help you start walking with God, help you start building that relationship with God. God bless you. Can we just welcome new believers into God's family today? God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Go in the grace of God.